0: Thank you, Pastor West, for that song. I want to just mention uh, before we get into our study of Scripture this morning, do be in prayer for um, the Spencer family. Uh, many of you know that uh, Buddy passed away um, over the weekend, and certainly want to lift them up and to the Lord in prayer. At this point, they're not planning any service for him, uh, but we'll keep you posted should the family decide to do one at a future time. But do remember them in your prayers, also. Uh, W.C. Cheers also uh, went home to be with the Lord and is one of our shut-ins and some of you uh, may, know, uh, may know the Cheers family and so we certainly want to be in prayer for them as well as we, as we begin this morning. Uh, take your Bibles and you can find Philippians chapter 4 and we're going to be looking at a couple of verses this morning together today as we study scripture and uh, pressing on in our study of this, of this book. And uh, the end is in sight uh, we 'll be finishing this book lord willing uh, before the before the Christmas season kicks in that 's our plan anyway we 'll see how that see how that goes. If you are uh, like me, uh, hopefully in many ways you 're not like me, but maybe in some ways you are. Um, I am a creature of habit. I am one of the people, maybe few people that believe every day should look the same. I am very much driven by habits by what I do each and every day. I try to do pretty much the exact same thing seven days a week, weekends, holidays, whatever. And part of my daily routine, at least during the work week, is I pack my lunch every day. And sometimes I cook something, maybe the night before, or or often it's a salad typically um, for me. But in the morning time, I'm making my salad, making, you know, whatever it is that I'm going to eat for lunch that day. Unfortunately, it's during these moments, early morning hours, that I have a habit that I would like to get out of. Because very often, when I'm going through my morning routine, making lunch or maybe just getting ready to come to the office or what have you, I will find myself very often in an internal conversation and i am often either talking with someone that is obviously not in the room with me i'm usually by myself in the early morning of the early morning hours of the day but often i am engaged in some kind of conversation with another person or maybe i am allowing my mind to become consumed with a concern not a worry you were here last week okay we're not going to worry doesn't mean we don't have healthy concern about life certainly but very often in the mental playground of my mind I can get myself a little agitated a little worked up and sometimes we begin down this train of thought and before we know it the locomotive is just barreling down the tracks and we get caught up in this mindset and we get caught up in this thought pattern. And sometimes, by the way, this thought pattern is so habitual, we're down the tracks before we even realize we're on, the, we're on that train. And once it gets rolling, it is very difficult to hit the brakes and make it stop. In fact, some of our thought patterns feel almost like they're the result of the Earth's gravitational pull. We're just drawn away into our imaginary world. And very often, the imaginary world that we enter into is not rooted in reality. Oh, it's rooted in a reality of our own creation. It just doesn't happen to be a part of this reality. Here's the other process that we go through when we start to think a certain way, is we also realize that our emotions play into that thought process. You ever stop and ask yourself when you are barreling down the tracks and the locomotive of this thought process, have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what am I feeling right now? What is driving this? Do I feel afraid? Do I feel lonely? Do I feel anxious? Do I feel angry? Do I feel disappointed or discouraged? Maybe I'm going through a time of grief or sadness. Or do I feel consumed with pride and arrogance, desire, anticipation? You see, when Paul comes to Philippians 4, he is talking to us about how to have the peace of God. This peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And we have talked about the fact that rejoicing and anxiety can't exist in the same heart. We've talked about the fact that if we are prayerful about all things, not giving into anxiety and worry, if we are praying before the Lord about the things that are concerns to us, things that are weighing on our hearts, that if we are consistently rejoicing, consistently praying, consistently trusting in God, we can experience this peace of God. But here's what gets in the way, and it rests between your two ears it is your mind it is what you think about it is what you meditate on it is what consumes your thinking it is what consumes your mind and very often our emotions play a major part of that i was thinking about some biblical accounts throughout scripture and i stopped and asked myself this question like what were you thinking what was going through your mind for instance Why did Achan think that taking some of the devoted things would go unnoticed by God in Joshua chapter 7? What possessed Achan to believe, to think that he would get away with that? Why did David think that sleeping with Bathsheba would be a good idea in 2 Samuel 11? And oh, by the way, what made David believe or think that killing her husband would somehow make things better? What were you thinking, David? Why did Judas think that betraying Jesus would somehow bring personal, lasting benefit to his life? Why did Peter think that denying Jesus to the servant girl was a wise course of action? Oh, by the way, after Jesus had already warned him about that. Peter, what were you thinking? What about Ananias and Sapphira? What were they thinking? What part of selling this land and keeping a portion for yourself seemed like a good idea to them? What are you thinking? You see, as we head into this week of Thanksgiving, what are you thinking this morning? What are you thinking about? What did you wake up thinking about? What is weighing on your mind today? You you probably have heard the traditional hymn. It's one of the more well-known hymns of our of our even of our time would be the Psalm "Come Thou Fount of Ever Blessing," of every blessing. The song was written by a man by the name of Robert Robinson. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, just very briefly. He was born into a very impoverished family that who lived in Norfolk, England, in the middle of the 18th century. In fact, he was born, if you're curious, September the 27th, in 1773. When Robinson was a young man, in fact, when he was 18 years old, or excuse me, 8 years old, his father died. And at 14, his mother decided to send him to London at 14 for him to go and to learn the trade of becoming a barber. During this time, he fell into what is described as a group of hoodlums. And he became wrapped up in the London culture, and he became a very angry, resentful, and bitter teenager. While he was living in London one night, this group of hoodlums that he ran with decided that they were going to go hear this wonderful revivalistic preacher preach, a guy by the name of George Whitefield. Maybe you've heard of him. Their intention, their stated intention that night was to go and to cause havoc in the service. They actually went, and one writer said they were going to correct the Methodists and they were going to set them straight, this group of hoodlums. Well, that night, Robinson fell under very deep conviction when he heard the gospel preached. This conviction, as I understand it, lasted for a period of time, and eventually he came to know Christ as his Savior. Well, years later, he actually, within, within a relatively short period of time, he became a Methodist minister and would later become an English, or excuse me, a Baptist minister in Cambridge, England, of a very large ministry there. At the age of 23, Robertson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in the midst of this song, there is this phrase, maybe you pause every time we sing this phrase it is here i raise my ebenezer i remember hearing that song as a kid in our little wesleyan church thinking to myself what does charles dickens a christmas story have to do with this why are we singing about charles dickens book um we were not actually this phrase comes from first samuel 7 verse 12 where the text says, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer was simply, the word simply means a stone of help, a memorial stone. A marker that was set forth to remind God's people of his deliverance of them. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here, there, by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, listen to this phrase, wandering from the fold of God, wandering away. He goes on in that song, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. We're a lot like the people of Israel. We need constant reminders in our lives because we are constantly prone to wandering away. Oh, we may not wander off in action, maybe, but very often we wander away from the God we love in our minds, in our thinking. In fact, this Thanksgiving season... Whether it's Thanksgiving itself or Christmas, Easter in the fall or in the spring serve as these great reminders of God's wonderful blessings. That song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the god i love here's my heart i'll oh, take and seal it seal it for thy courts above that song goes on and says oh to grace how great a debtor daily i'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee i say all that to ask you again do you have a wandering mind Do you have a mind that wanders away from the God you love and draws you away from the things that God says we are to consume our thoughts and thinking with? This morning in verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 4, we're going to talk about how do we develop this right thinking how can we do this how can we develop a thoughts a thought process that pleases god if in fact our mind is the first place that we lose our spiritual battle we better know how to think right and when you think about someone, maybe, maybe you, maybe someone watching home online this morning, you are wrapped up in anxiety and worry and concern. And it might very well be that your mind has wandered away from God. I've said this before. Whenever I am talking with someone about uh, anxiety and being consumed with anxious living, I always have them keep a thought journal It's very simple. Just write down what you're thinking about. And then we come to Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9, and we start putting those thoughts through this grid. Does my thinking fit this mold? Does my thinking match what God's word says? And very often, people can't get past the first one. So let's read the list, and then we'll study them together. Paul says this in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. Just stop there for a minute. How much of your thinking is not true? It's based on your own fictitious version of the world. Your fantasy world, your imaginary world. What is True, we are commanded to think about that. And we'll come back and explain these a little bit more in a moment. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. I love this. Practice these things. Notice the connection. Thinking and action, they go together. Practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Anxiety is often battled in our minds. And so Paul concentrates his attention now on what we think about. Again, I ask you what thoughts demand your attention first thing every morning? What thoughts are lingering in your mind at night before you go to sleep? What seemingly compulsive thinking process consistently leads you into sinful choices, sinful attitudes, and sinful behaviors? Temptation, even the temptation to think a certain way, will always continue until it is satisfied or mortified. I'm either going to give in or I'm going to choose to do something differently. Now I've always joked about this, but it happens to be true. Men men have a gift from God. It is called the nothing box. And I love living there. So when my wife says, "Honey, what are you thinking about?" and I say, "Nothing." She's like, "That is impossible." Because her mind is this interconnected, interconnected you know, miles and miles of wires like a computer that are just strung together, and she will start talking about something, and I will stop her and say, okay, where is this train going? Because somehow what you're saying here is connected to something that's way over there, and I want to make sure I open the right box. Where are we going? Just give me the—I enter- don't care how we get there, because I know the road is going to be curvy and windy, and I will get lost— But you got to tell me what, but men have a nothing box. We can think about nothing. It's beautiful. It's marvelous. It is God's gift to humanity, and I will not trade it for anything. But even when I'm in my nothing box, the temptation comes to think about something that does not fit what God's word says we should think about. There's something that creeps into my mind if I'm not careful and not guarding my thinking that I will end up on the locomotive train taking me to a place that I should never go. Now, what is interesting, we have this little word here in the ESV, it's, it's whatever. Now, that's an interesting English word because that's a word that is often used to show disdain in our culture, whatever. But, but here he's using this as an invitation In a sense. Paul is inviting you. It's not an expression of dismissal. This is an expression of. Here is what I want you to think about. As a believer in Christ. This is how you find the peace of God. And number one. You think about things that are true. This word means morally upright. Real. Factual. It's not based on something that is an assumption. I got a text Thursday afternoon from someone, doesn't matter who. And I read it and I'm like, I, I literally laughed. Because it was so based in fiction, it, I had to laugh. And you give back to that person, here is the truth, here is factual, and you realize that there are people that don't want to hear the truth? They, they would rather live in their fictitious world that is filled with drama and filled with all kinds of theories and assumptions, and even when confronted with the truth, they don't, ah, they don't want to hear that they, because their version of the world is a lot more enjoyable to them. Paul says, as a believer in Christ, I have to think about what is true, not what I assume to be true, not what I hope to be true, not what I theorize to be true, but what is factual. Here's a truth about truth. Negative and untrue communication destroys relationships. It destroys businesses and companies and ministries. Complaining, false assumptions, gossip, rumor, and cynicism create what one writer calls the toxic stew. And see, this toxic stew begins in our own minds. As our minds begin to spin around the merry-go-round of what we think about and what we are ruminating over and what we are meditating on, that very often our minds become this mixed up, messed up, muddled, toxic stew, and it starts in our mind because what we are thinking about just isn't true. It may feel true. You may wish it were true. But we have to stop and ask ourselves, is what I'm thinking about based on reality? Now, this truth ultimately certainly barrels down to, or boils down to God's word. Is what I'm thinking accurate in accordance to Scripture? It's not based on opinion or how I feel or what I'm thinking or what I'm hoping to be true. Is it based on the unchanging truths of Scripture? Now, Paul gives us another one. He says that we also not only think about what is true, but we think about what is honorable. Now, our culture could use a healthy dose of this one. This word means noble, majestic, not vulgar. Let me say that again. Not vulgar, it is things that is venerated for its character now let me let me meddle with your life for a moment. Our culture is filled with vulgarity, filled with it, language, the movies we watch, the music we listen to I, I was walking through a parking lot of a well-known establishment called walmart this is when a while ago and this young man had his music at decibels that we could probably hear from murrayville from the walmart over here the vulgarity the vulgarity offensive language hatred words that should never be expressed by any human being And he was having a great time listening to my tunes. Vulgar, downright, immoral, and disgusting. Why would you think about that? Why why would we allow things into our lives and into our thought processes, processes that fill our minds with things that are not noble? They are not of character. They are not majestic. They are, in fact, vulgar Paul gives us another one he says that we have to also think about things that are just this word means righteous as defined by almighty God virtuous keeping with the commandments of God so in other words every thought process that I have in my mind have to be subordinate to God's commandments I can't think about, imagine things that are out of bounds for a believer. So this could come down to some of the things that we maybe fantasize about or things that we think about or what have you. That Paul says that every thought that we have has to fall in line with the commandments of God's word. How's your thinking doing so far? Paul gives us another one. He says that, we also have to think about things that are pure. These are are matters that excite reverence, venerable, free from carnality, chaste, modest, pure from every fault, immaculate. This word means that whatever is not tainted or associated with wickedness, it is innocent, morally upright, this word that is translated as pure into English was a word used often to refer to things that were sacred. So Paul, when he goes through this list, we're thinking about things that are, that are true, honorable, just, and pure. They stand as a picture of what is immaculate, pure. Here's another one Paul gives us, things that are lovely. The word means something that is considered to be lovable. There are things in our world that are intrinsically beautiful, aren't there? Things that are lovely, the world in which we live is, is absolutely filled with beauty. The radiance of the rising sun, the brilliance of the autumn leaves, the rippling of a flowing stream, the wonder of the night sky, the majesty of the highest peaks. You see, when God ordered creation, he stamped the magnificent description of lovely on everything he created. Even the little things of life, the morning dew, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the bumblebees buzzing in a in and in a, in on, a, on a, in a spring day and, and a group of flowers, hummingbirds that are hanging suspended in midair. We had our first hummingbird in our yard this week. Jordan saw it the other day. The purity of a fresh snowfall with its millions upon millions of unique snowflakes. God's wonder, beauty, lovely. All creation actually reflects and even shouts the glory of God. The majesty of God, the loveliness of God. But yet, in our sinful, cynical nature, we often veil our eyes to God's beauty. We don't see the things that are lovely. We don't recognize that God's wonder is unsearchable, indescribable. That God alone is, in a sense, beauty, and what He has created is beautiful. He gives us another description here of what we think about. He says that not only think about things that are lovely, but whatever is commendable. He says that we are to think about things that are praiseworthy, admirable, consider worthy of considering to be a void of offense, to be void of offense. Now, in a sense, there is this aspect of, of common grace that even an unbeliever understands certain things that are excellent of good report and paul then gives us this summary statement here he says if there is any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things this is what you are to think about let me give you a quick illustration of what this what this might look like and i've seen this many many times um in in people is when when i have someone do their thought journal okay they write down their their thoughts and usually they're pretty guarded in that right the first couple of times they may you know take a stab at it but it's not really honest it's really not forthcoming and sometimes you will see i've seen this one so many times I, i i don't know how many times i've heard this from people but people will say i'm worthless I'm worthless. And I always come back to Philippians 4, verse 8, and ask the question Is that true? Is that true? Well, it feels true. I didn't ask that. I asked you, Is that true? Well, that's what my parents said. I didn't ask you what your parents said. I asked you to answer, are you worthless? Yes. Why would you say that? Because I feel worthless. People have told me I'm worthless. So now what we do is we take this thought that is categorically not true, and we replace it with a true statement. I am a person created in the image of Almighty God. I am a person that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that I can enjoy him for all of eternity. I am anything but worthless. But see, when our minds get running down this train of I am useless, worthless, I am Whatever my mind tells me, ask yourself, just if if you can't remember the whole list, just start with the first one. Is that true? Well it feel I didn't ask you how you feel. Is it true? And as believers, we get caught up in telling ourselves all kinds of lies about ourselves, about others people's intentions. And so when Paul says, think about these things, it's not a suggestion. It's not, you know what, if you kind of get around to it, you ought to go back and think about what I did. No, 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 this is a commandment. As a believer in Christ, we are to think about things that honor God. They bring glory to God, that bring honor to his name. We have to think about everything that we think about has to be true. True. It has to be honorable, lacking all vulgarity. It has to be just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. And when we think about what we think about and you ask yourself, what is your whatever? Is your whatever fitting with this list? Here's a, little, here's a little exercise for you. It may help you adjust your thinking and your emotions and your attitudes and your actions that are sure to follow. When the whatever that you're thinking about begins to grow dark, just scrutinize your thinking for a minute. Ask yourself, where is my mind drifting? What am I dwelling upon? What is it in this mindset that is capturing my attention to the place that it's leading me down a train, a track to destruction. See, our, our minds are constantly filled with data. It's filled with information. Not wisdom, by the way. We're in the age of information. We're not certainly in the age of wisdom. Wisdom. But we think about all these things that come at us and we begin to believe things that are not true. Things that are ungodly. And we then begin to have a conversation with ourselves. And yet through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can break our minds away from the cynical cycle of depressive preoccupations that consume our thinking. In fact, Paul said this in Colossians chapter 3. He said, if then, or we could say it this way, since then you have been raised with Christ, think, excuse me, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Think things that are heavenly. And then verse 9, as we as we, as we kind of uh, bring all this together. Verse 9, Paul says, keep putting these things into practice. We have to practice these things. We have to put what we know to be true into action and think about what God has commanded us to think about and keeping our minds pure, keeping them away from wandering from the God we claim to love. So as we close, I ask you, what controls your life this morning, your thought life this morning? What dominates your thinking? Are you filling your mind with ideas and thoughts that are dishonoring to God? Right thinking dwells on things that please God. It's that simple. We can be joyful. We can rejoice even when it seems things are coming apart around us. If we think about God's godly character, we think about who he is. We think about his goodness and his mercy. I love Hebrews 2 verse 1. The writer of Hebrews said this. He said, therefore, we must pay much closer attention To what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it. Has your mind wandered off? Does your thinking wander away from things that please God? Godly thinking allows us to experience the peace of God. And that's what Paul says at the end of verse 9. He says that when we take what we have learned and we have heard it, we've seen it and we practice these things... And the God of peace will be with you. When you get yourself all worked up, you know those fictitious conversations that I have while I'm putting my spinach in my salad bowl. All those fictitious conversations based on false assumptions, based on my own selfishness, based and rooted in my own insecurities, They get you nowhere. Oh, they do actually get you somewhere. They get you to an anxiety-filled life. But God says, think like this. And then the peace of God will resonate in your mind. This morning, Delaney is going to come and sing for us. While she sings, I want you to Do what Paul says, that we think about what we have just heard and ask ourselves, how is it that God is asking us to practice these things?
1: Through it all God's been good Time's your play And I can see That I've cried some bitter tears But I felt His arms around me As I faced my greatest fears You see I've had I could Because through it all, God's been good For God has been my Father, my Savior, and my friend His love was my beginning, and His love will be my end I could spend forever trying been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. And though I've had my share of hard times, I would change them if I could, because through it through it all.
0: Thank you, Delaney. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we, we reflect on what we just heard. You have been good, even when times have been difficult and challenging. In all of our lives, we've experienced those times. Lord, I, I pray that as we leave today, we would be reminded on the commandment to think about what is true. And what is true is you are good all the time, even when it may not feel true. Lord, I pray you would empower us to guard our minds and to protect them from things that are dishonoring to you, things that are vulgar, things that wouldn't please you. And Lord, that our our mindset would be one that is consumed with you to the point that we would experience this peace in our soul that we all long for. We know that in this world we will have trials and tribulations, you've promised that. But in the midst of it, we can rest and trust in the one who is greater and bigger and all, all powerful, powerful enough to help us through those dark times. So Lord, we pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing this morning as we enter into our week of thanksgiving. May we be, may we be people that are consumed with your goodness and praising you for what you've given to us in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping this morning. I'll be here near the front. If you have any questions or comments about our ministry, we'd love to talk with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a good day.